Hey everybody, welcome to Evil Pudding, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Courtney. And I'm Patrick. Welcome back. Howdy. (sighs) It's been a week. It's It's always been a week here. This has been an extra week, though. Yeah. It's just one of those weeks where it's just dealing with a lot. And this is one of those episodes where I'm dreading the words coming out of my mouth. I can always tell the episodes that are going to be like that because you're like, we just need to do it now. And I'm like, okay, she wants this out and away. (laughs) We need to get it over with. She wants to move on and go have some drinks afterwards because she needs to. (laughs) I I just, I'm so done with Joseph Callender. I mean, I was done before he killed anybody. I was done after the, 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 the horseshoe or the whole pit he dug and then his fucking hamster gate. And I love that the feedback has been super fun, though. I guess. It, it definitely scarred some people. It definitely like was like, whoa, holy shit. But I mean, same. If you thought that was bad, just wait. <laughs> just oh, I know. wait. I know it's got to be bad, right? Because that was how bad it was before he killed anyone. Well, it's funny because I was like in the intro, I usually... I try to give like a trigger warning of what kind of triggers are going to be in this episode. And I couldn't even think of a word. I was going to say, you probably couldn't even figure out what the it's trigger like, would be. Trigger warning. We're going to talk about a lot of, um, trigger warning. This shit's fucked up. I don't know, man. It's just, <laughs> it's going to trigger you. Okay. You're on LSD, but it might make sense to you right now. Uh, probably not. <laughs> I'm going to say it's probably gonna make more sense to them than it does to us. Probably. <laughs> you have any office business before we office business? Oh, yeah. Fancy and professional and shit. Yep. Um, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're if you're on our if you're on our Patreon, you're getting this a week before everyone else. So yep. So if you're listening to today, aren't y'all special? Saturday, and y'all are special. We love you. Next week. Actually Patreon everybody's special. We love all of y'all. Thank y'all we for supporting us. And I'm sorry to do this to your ear holes. <laughs> but it is what it is, you know? It is surely what it i don't yeah i don't want to do this <laughs> it's gonna be a lengthy one so okay part one was super scarring for many of you as you let me know which same fair enough it was a rough one Thanks. but i doubt it prepared you for this next one because in this episode we are going into the very dark and disturbing mind of joe callinger and we're gonna view his crimes his murders from his point of view. Oh, God. So, please, if you haven't, guys, <laughs> go Get back and listen. Yeah, do that. <laughs> and go back and listen to, to the first part because this is already not going to make sense. And then if you don't <laughs> listen to the first part, you're going to be like, whoa. Not that the first part makes a ton of sense on the stuff you know, that goes on, but at least it gives you the background of how crazy this probably gets. You know how I usually do like a quick, quick synopsis of the first episode in part two? Like, there's just, I'm sorry. You got to listen to it. I'm not going through that again. There's a giant hole. They're saving mankind through orthopedics. Orthopedic saving of mankind. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a devil, uh, a God hallucinations. There's God talked to him. Then the devil talked to him. Lot, dug, lots of stuff. Then he dug a hole and did some horrible things in his hole. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, he did. Hamster gate. Of, I mean, hamster gate alone. The glory hole. Hamster gate. Oh God. <laughs> hamster gate alone is enough to break, break your brain. Yeah. So if you haven't, go back and listen to the first part because this one's already not going to make a lot of sense. 
No, especially no, really you won't. have no context. I you <laughs> but yeah, you have no context to how crazy it's going to sound even crazier because you didn't hear the craziness in the beginning. Patrick is, is going to try to ask the questions that you as a listener may have just in case I didn't clarify anything enough. I'll do I'll do my damnedest. It's yeah, not I mean, going to be hard. very easy. To I don't know this part of the story yet, so I'm assuming it's hard to follow based on the first part. It's easy to follow. It's his because we're going to get into his visions. So. I'm saying follow his train of thought and what the hell is going on. Yeah. And then a lot of y'all said uh, Pat was saying what they were thinking, so I'm going to just keep doing that. Oh, God. Well, don't encourage him, guys. <laughs> no, not that, but it's like when you were explaining the last time and you're looking at me and you're like, what's wrong? I'm like, I can't even process. I'm still processing what happened like just before. I can't even process the new shit yet. Like, it's just, it's that ridiculous. So this is going to be a lengthy one. Let's just hop right in, just feet first, into Joseph Callinger's escalation from abuser to serial murderer. So last episode, we ended it after Joseph had horrifically abused his two children who had tried to run away. If you oh, remember, yeah, yeah, Mary yeah, yeah, yeah. Jo, Mary Jo, and Joey. You'll never run away from me. Yeah, yeah. As he's burning her with a spatula. Yeah. He burned Mary Jo on the inner thigh with a red hot spatula, and then he beat Joey with the handle of a hammer because God told him to. He, re- of course. Just little, if reminder, we are dealing with a man who, unfortunately, Joseph, he's suffering from severe, severe delusions and schizo- Well, he has schizophrenia, yeah. but he's not diagnosed. So no, 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 no one's helping him. Very clearly, many opportunities with schizophrenia, delusions, hallucinations, both auditory and visual. The dude is just not in a normal state of mind. Well, his abuse of his children. Remember, if you remember in part one, he referred to it as, quote, re-education of his children. And he truly believed that it was a solemn job bestowed on him by God himself. So he took it very seriously. You know, the Lord told him to do it. And he was, it was a very, it was a holy mission in Just his like mind. Just like fucking orthopedics. Just like orthopedics. We'll get, we'll get there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, Joey and Mary Jo... After their abuse, they actually decided to go to the police and report their father. <laughs> Fuck dad. Let's, yeah. yeah, I'm out. Well, Joseph, as a result, was charged and he received a, here we go again, he received a suspended sentence for the beating of his son, Joey. And for the burning of Mary Jo, Joseph was placed on four years psychiatric probation and was required to check in regularly with a psychiatrist. Now, this is going to infuriate you. I'm very confused. Okay, yeah, go ahead. This is just going to grind your grits, so to speak. How did this dude continue on meeting with the psychologist? Well, it's promising because he's going to regularly have to do mandatory check-ins with the psychiatrist. So let me guess. They just it's looking good. Work. Well, he's finally under the watchful eye of a mental health professional, which is exactly where he needs to be. But <laughs> after one five minute conversation with this psychiatrist. And I use that term loosely counseling sessions ended and Joseph was no longer required to check in. They oh. thought that he was just fine. And the court was like, yeah, he's, he's amazing. <laughs> the fucking psychologists get their degree. Cracker Jack box. Yes. Good Lord. So since Joseph had been charged and convicted of abusing his children, 
word had gotten around Philly. Remember they're in Philly mm-hmm. and the one successful shoe business that he owned started to suffer. You know, I, I mean, would you want to give your business to a convicted child abuser? No, no, no sorry. In fact, times were so tough that Joe <laughs> even started to hand out business cards at the courthouse in hopes to garner some new business there, but that didn't work. Like he was giving them to the bailiff, the judge. I mean, <laughs> wow. Yeah, bring me your business. So, since the Callengers were suffering financially, Joseph had to come up with a plan. So, he gathered Mary Joe and Joey, his kids, down in the basement, and he was like, Y'all need to, this is a very loose quote, by the way, I'm, I'm saying this. Y'all need to go ahead and recant your testimony. You need to go down to the police station and tell them that you guys were lying about the abuse. And in February of 1974, Mary Jo and Joey did just that. Now, one may wonder why they agreed to this. No, they were not scared of their father for whatever reason. Apparently, they just thought that it was cool to lie to the cops. Mm. If you remember in part one, Joseph... Uh, and Betty, his wife, had not raised productive citizens in the community. They were all little thieving criminals. Hoodlums. The ca- the Callenger kids were heathens, and they were all little hellraisers, and they hated the cops. So they were just, they just wanted to screw with the police, and they were like, yes, we get to lie to the they cops. They were that family that everyone's like, those are the fucking bad kids. Now, I don't know if I, these weren't like older teenagers. Joey is 14, so we're not talking like mature adults. No. Young but, adults. But everybody had that family that they grew up in the neighborhood or that was the area was that was like parents were off and the kids were just fucking hellions. Yeah. Everybody knew it. Everybody Crazy. was like, don't hang out with them. They are just fucking bad kids. Well, slowly word got around that the Callenger kids had lied about the abuse allegations and business slowly started to return to normal at Joe Callenger's shoe shop. He owned that shoe shop. Yeah. Over in. Um, it was his father's. In Kensington. Kensington. Well, he lived in Kensington as well. Yeah, that's what I mean, but they were in the Kensington area of Philly. Now, remember, Joseph was suffering from schizophrenia, and he had very vivid delusions that were very real to him. Extremely real. And we're going to- He thought he was sitting there talking to God and the devil. We're going to see in this episode just how real he thought that his visions were. During this whole child abuse fiasco, Joseph had received a vision showing him that his children were not, in fact, children, so to speak, but instead they were gods. What? But not all of them were good gods. This caused Joseph to have complete reverence towards some of his kids, and then he had disdain for others. Remember, he has four total. Well, he has six total, but he only sees four. Two are from a... His first marriage. I'm well past that. I'm just confused by this part already. So if that doesn't make sense right now, it's okay. You'll see it kind of play out further on. So he had a vision, as we'll call it. His kids are are gods. His kids are all gods. Total gods. Some good, some bad. So like, if you're going to put it into like Roman gods, like one of them is the god of the underworld, the other one's like the prince. Exactly. So he had reverence for at least one. I think one of them he did. The other ones were basically demons. Yeah. So if you remember, (laughs) actually, you have one good kid and three bad ones, whatever. So if you remember in the first episode, Joseph was given a mission by God, just one. And that was to save mankind through what, Pat? Orthopedics. Orthopedics. Good old Dr. Scholl, remember? Yeah, just like Dr. Scholl. Well, if you, he's a cobbler and, and he believes that God told him that that's how he was going to save mankind through orthopedics. Well, Joseph failed to do that. 
horribly, i.e. hamster gate, when he tried to make the hamster's little shoes. Well, I mean, he probably failed in that because he was making hamster's orthopedics. Since he had failed with that mission, God spoke to him and gave him a new mission, Patrick. Great. And that would be to destroy the world that he had failed to save. Joseph would have to murder every person on the planet. And in 1974, that would be 3 billion people by destroying their sexual organs. I'm sorry, what? I'll explain a little further. Joseph believed for one reason or another that in our sex organs, like in your penis, in my vagina, that is where our entire being is held. So if you remove them, the person like evaporates and dies. Well, and that... He, be- can, he believes. <laughs> you can kind of understand why he believes that if you listen to part one and you remember his child. You can. You can. When yeah. his parents like. He's damaged. Told him that he had a demon in his little bird, as they called it, mm. in his wiener. Mm-hmm. And they had to remove it. Yeah. And he thinks that. Yeah. They didn't actually remove his, his junk. but He had they, a hernia. They told him we had a hernia repair. They removed they, the demon from remo- his penis. <laughs> yeah. They removed his dick demon. That's awful. <laughs> so, so after he killed. 3 billion people using this method by removing their sex organs. Joseph was then to kill himself, and it didn't end there. When he died, he would become the, quote, one true God and in turn save the world that he failed to do so through orthopedics. Oh, my God. It's do- I can't. It's, yeah, well, don't get tired yet because we. Do- this is the sane stuff. Just wait. Yeah, I mean, it's the same stuff as killing three billion people by removing their genitals and then killing yourself so you become the one true. Okay, that's that's the same shit. Okay. Okay, now bear with me. I'm about to directly quote Joseph Callinger's account of what God said specifically when he appeared to him. And a lot of these delusions can get kind of out there. What? <laughs> no. Okay. God would tell Joseph, according to Joseph, of course, quote. The destruction of the hamsters was the beginning. You continued by burning Mary Jo's thigh. Only you were supposed to shove that hot spatula into her vagina and guts. But you chickened out and burned only the soft flesh near her vagina. Now the time has come for you, with Michael's help, Michael is his son, Mm -hmm. to kill three billion people. So yeah, killing 3 billion people would be no small task. So Joseph would need some help, right? Yeah, yeah. And who better than re- and who better to choose than recruiting his 12-year-old son Michael? Let me repeat that. 12-year-old son Michael. Well, God fucking told him to. To assist him on the mission. After all, Michael was a god. And he was a he was a good god and and according to Joseph Now get this, on an even more demented note, Joseph felt that Michael was perfect for this task at hand because his penis was larger than Joseph's. So that means that Mike possessed a power that Joseph did not. Following? Your eyeballs (laughs) are popping up. Put your eyeballs in your head. (laughs) I can't even with that. Mm -hmm. Like, I have so many questions. Like, first of all, why does he know that? Ask him. Ask him. Why, Why does he know that? Well, it's his son. He probably, they probably like all walk around naked because they're weird. 
Second or he asked. He probably asked. He probably was like, can you show me your penis? Because because remember, he has a micro penis. Joseph does. Can I see everybody's penis to make sure everybody has a bigger one than mine? I mean, I I, I guarantee you this family did some weird stuff like that. Yeah, They're crazy. I'm beyond my questions at this point. I'm just, what the fuck? Now, Joseph was no stranger to committing crimes with his kids. This was not new to him. No, we know that. He often... In his words, quote, delegated crimes out to his kids to commit on his behalf. Or he would accompany them just at times. He loves to delegate because he doesn't always want to get his hands dirty, you know. Joseph referred to his son, Joey, uh, who's 14, as his, quote, local delegate. Because they would wreak havoc locally whenever Joseph, you know, felt like it. Okay. But his 12-year-old son, Michael, was kind of his suburban delegate. Oh. See, Joseph and Michael would take buses uh, in the mornings um, to suburbs all across Pennsylvania and New Jersey where they would go in, break into houses, and rob them on a regular basis. They had been doing this already. Oh, okay. And if you're ever wondering where Joseph's wife Betty is during all this, she knew. In fact, she would wake up early and make them breakfast before their suburban crime sprees. Oh. To get on the bus because she's a good mom. Okay, well, that's, that's sweet. She's making sandwiches while they go, so they can go steal health. They're not. They, she doesn't want them stealing on an empty stomach. No, that's, that'd be fucking awful. That's awful. I listen. <laughs> the fuck. I listened to the last podcast on the left's episode of this, and they're absolutely freaking hilarious. Highly recommend them. But um, they did they did this about this case. It was a two parter as well, and they likened the calendars to a modern day Adams family. <laughs> I was like, yes. Yes. Like if the Adams family was more trashy, it would be the calendars. If they were poor. Yeah. Well, I don't even think the calendars were poor. But the Adams family was rich. Everything was the mansion. You know what I'm saying? If they were just normal or poor. Yeah. And if you remember, they're living in like a freaking fortress. Remember that from episode one? Yeah, he built a Steel and cement like outside their window. I mean, it's crazy. You said cement. I'm like. Thought you said something else. And I'm oh. like, well, that was in the basement of the other house. No, that wasn't in the basement. That was in the hole. Which wasn't that in the basement? No. Remember, they bought the house. He bought the house. Yeah, the second to house. To pull up the floorboards. Oh, I thought it was in the And basement. dug a 20-foot hole. I just did it straight in the middle of the house. Guys. Yeah, just in the living room. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It was, I was so confused at that point. What was happening? Same. <laughs> okay, so anyways. God was no longer pleased with Joseph and Michael merely committing burglary and theft. So instead, they had to murder three billion people together. By yep. removing their sexual organs. Yes. Through their genitals. Mm-hmm. Okay. With me? <laughs> no, I don't think anyone <laughs> out there is with you right now. So on June 26th, 1974, Joseph told Mike that he had a very strong desire to start killing people and that Mike would have the honor of joining him. And according to Joseph, Mike's response was, this is according to Joseph. Yeah. Mike's response was, quote, glad to do it, dad. <laughs> sure thing, pal. Well, if that's true, that's freaking frightening. But, I mean, nothing would surprise me with these kids. It, they it really wouldn't. Yeah, at the same time, he's on his dad's good graces and everything, right? And he's seen him beat the other kids. So mm-hmm. maybe he's just survival type reactions. Like, I'm just going to keep dad happy. Yeah, we, we can speculate all we want. We're never going to know because Mike uh, would never speak about the crimes. So we we will never know if that's true, and I don't blame him. You know, well, he's, probably, he's 
he's doing this stuff at 12 and he's growing up in that family. His level of trauma and, and mental blocks and issues the kid's going to have grown Endless. up is going to be ridiculous. So with Mike now on board, Joe and Mike would set out to commit their first murder about 6 p.m. that evening. And trigger warning here, guys. A very violent child murder is about to unfold, so skip ahead if you don't want to hear this. This one's rough. Can I skip ahead? No, you have to stay here. <laughs> I just want to skip to the end when he's don't done. Don't leave me. He's done killing people. <laughs> no. So, Joe and Mike went out and spotted 10-year-old Jose Colazzo hanging around outside the Man Recreation Center in Philly. Are you familiar with that or no? Because mm-hmm. you're from there? Okay. They used to have concerts uh, and stuff like that. At the, we called it the man at that point. But yeah. It was like early 90s. You know the 90s, area at least. Young, my parents, I think my parents saw Kenny G or some shit there. Oh, okay. Uh, Jose Colazzo. <laughs> We're talking about this and I'm talking about my parents going to a Kenny G concert. <laughs> I mean, whatever. It's a nice distraction. <laughs> oh, it's such a paradox. It's great. Jose Colazzo, only 10. 10. He was hanging around outside. And uh, so Joseph and Michael walked up to him and told him that they needed help moving boxes of ribbon and would be happy to pay him for his time. And Jose was like, sure. I mean, this is a dad with his 12-year-old son who's almost Jose's age. So he's not going to exactly think that they're out for blood, you yeah, know? It's the 70s, right, isn't it? Yeah, it's the 70s. It's and Michael's time. like his age. Yeah, so almost. why would you have a guard up at that? You wouldn't. And it's a dad. Yeah, exactly. So... Mike and Joe then lured the 10-year-old boy to a nearby abandoned rug factory where they stripped him naked and tied his hands and ankles with cord. Then, using a shoemaker's knife, if you look it up, Pat, if you want to look it up, you'll see what it looks like. It's kind of like a lip shape, a mouth shape, a U, I think, like a C curve. I don't want to look it up. Then using a shoemaker's knife... They cut off the boy's penis. Ten years old, alive. Jesus. So this poor kid is already, you know, in in the process of bleeding out. Yeah. But as he bled out, 12-year-old Mike would beat him and choke him repeatedly. Joseph would later say that he wasn't exactly sure how the child died, whether it was from bleeding out or from strangulation. But one thing Joseph would later make very clear is that his first murder was very unfulfilling to him. Oh, Joseph, so sorry. <laughs> Joseph told author of the book that I used a lot, a lot, very heavily for these two episodes, um, The Shoemaker by Flora Schreiber. She interviewed him a lot. Yep. Bless her heart. I don't know how, but yeah. Well, Joseph would tell Flora, quote, Mike and I did what we did and what we had planned to do. We had passed the test. The rest would be easy. God's will be done. But, he said, I was a little disappointed because it had been too dark in the factory to see blood. I wanted to see blood. My thoughts were drenched in blood. Blood gushing out of human bodies. Blood flooding the cities, staining rivers and oceans. Blood boiling in a huge pot with morsels of sexual organs in it. And that's, I'm just going to stop there. It went on and on and on. But, yeah. He was basically pissed off because it was too dark in the abandoned rug factory because no electricity. To see the 10-year-old boy bleed out. And he wanted more. You okay? 
No. Okay. This man wanted to see a pot boiling with blood with dicks in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. After Jose was dead, Joseph took his the little boy's severed penis and placed it in his pocket where he brought his trophy home with him. In an effort to preserve it, he tried sealing it in plaster of Paris. However, after a while, Joseph claimed that it began to stink. So he just tossed it away in a sewer somewhere. He couldn't remember which one. You okay? I cannot, yeah. (laughs) This is ridiculous. Well... With no clear connection to Jose and with no eyewitnesses to speak of, unfortunately. Joe and Mike were never suspects in Jose's murder. And after a while, Jose's case just became another unsolved murder in a fairly rough part of Philly to begin with, you know? So it just ran cold. It was just another one for the time being. After the boy's murder, Joseph informed his son, Mike, that don't worry, son, this wasn't gonna be this isn't gonna be our only murder. We have to murder many more people. To which Mike allegedly responded, quote, good. Yeah, we got a million, we gotta murder two million nine hundred and ninety-nine thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine more people. <laughs> we got lots more to go. Well, only one down. Weird. Because I have a side note right here in my notes. Listen to this. It's weird you said that. As a quick side note here, I found this very interesting. Joseph would later claim that after this murder and in later murders, he would completely forget what he had done. Like, he didn't even remember, according to him. Like, after he was caught, he would be told that he had committed these crimes. And he believed he did. He wasn't denying it. He was like, "I, I totally know that I probably did. But he just completely disassociated from it all. Eventually, he would claim that the details of these murders would eventually come flooding back later on. Again, this is according to him, and he's he's tough to he's tough to believe, right? I'm, I'm trying to understand this story as it's going on. The fucking dog is over there doing donuts on the bed. Coconut, what are you doing? She's going crazy, probably because of this story's going on in the background. Can you blame her? No, she's Coconut, lay down. We have arrived at the lead-up to their second murder. And this one may surprise you, Patrick. How? (laughs) How is it going to surprise me? Oh, it will. So, two weeks after Jose's murder, Joseph had another vision. Of course he did. He saw a boy being thrown off the edge of a cliff in his mind. And in that moment, Joe claimed to have experienced an erection. Now, I don't just say this to be gross and perverted, okay? It's actually applicable because Joseph honestly believed that anytime he experienced an erection during a vision, then that vision, that meant that the vision was bestowed on him by God. I remember that. I remember he okay. talked about in the beginning, in the first part, where he, that was what he made it even weirder. He would get his right. visions and it would literally get a boner when he was getting it was like oh that was, that was god telling me to do that that was that, god telling me that wasn't that. just a vision that was god's vision i would like y'all to know i am also speaking um a lot more sweetly than he did yeah, I mean, <laughs> because he's just super offensive and a nasty freaking human being he's disgusting 
So I'm kind of churching it up a little bit so it's not so vulgar. Oh, vulgar. thank you for saving us I know. from I this episode. <laughs> I like made, this is like the PG version of what he, how he speaks. He's so gross. It's like the Disney version? Yeah, it is. Okay, so I'm not patting myself on the back, by the way. I'm just saying y'all have no idea how, I'm going to play a clip towards the end mm-hmm. of this episode and you can hear him talk. He's just a yeah, we weren't thinking. You were, we didn't think you were patting yourself on the back. We thought you were like literally just trying to express like. There's no nice way no to say idea it. How this dude talks like you're saying it very nicely. Like remove the penis. Da, 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 da. An erection. Like yeah, he no. It's he's not, it's not the words he's saying. He's a vile beast. Okay, so it was God telling Joseph that he must effectively throw a boy over the side of a cliff. That was his mission. Period. So. Joseph had like some travel brochures on his bedside table. And so he was flipping through them. And <laughs> I'm sorry, my brain's just running a mile a minute over here. And I can't because I'm like, oh, that makes sense. That was Joseph's way of knowing there was a real mission from God. Like when I was in the military, if I got a boner and I had a dream, I was like, yep, that's my orders. Moving out. <laughs> okay. No, that's not how that works. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, I mean, his parents kind of messed him up in that way, I well, think. Well, they, they sexualized it with that whole yeah. demon in their thing. So, obviously, God, him having to do it, it must be, the demon's gone. It must be God. So, Joseph flipped through these travel brochures, and um, he found one brochure for the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon, and he was like, okay, this is where God wants this murder to take place. What? Okay, I I didn't know that Pennsylvania had a Grand Canyon, like what's it? It's Pennsylvania. It's what's in it? it like Lions have, fans? Does it have a Grand Canyon? Look it up. Look it up. I, I lived there my entire childhood until I was twenty. Look up the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon. Hold please. There's just a bunch of like beer bottles and Lions fans down there. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Fuck. It's real. Well, yeah. I'm not gonna give you. False info here. It's a forest. I'm not fake news, Pat. It's a forested gorge. It is tiny, and it is in the fucking. No, oh, it's almost in New York. Fuck that. It's still in Pennsylvania. That's in the Susquehannock Forest. I don't even know. It's in Wellsboro. I don't even know any of these towns. That's how far north it is. This is like, yeah, I don't even know any of these places. But it exists. I mean, yeah, it's literally in the middle of nowhere. Like, I don't know, a couple hours north of State College. So, he saw the brochure for Pennsylvania Grand Canyon. He was like, yes, this is it. Okay. Well, God then gave Joseph some more pertinent info about his next mission. You ready for this, Pat? Uh, No, I'm not. (laughs) He told Joseph, allegedly, that if he hadn't spent so much time in the past with his son, Joey then he would have succeeded in saving mankind through orthopedics. But since he chose to spend time with his son, then he would now have to kill him. Also, it would prove to God that Joseph, if Joseph could kill his own son, then he could just kill anyone. There's like straight biblical similarities. Now, as crazy as we may think Joseph to be, he certainly has very pronounced moments of clarity. And I find this interesting because get this, as much as it must have, and I say that sarcastically, pained Joseph to hear that God wanted him to kill his son, Joey. 
He felt that he may as well profit from his son's death. I mean, what the hell, right? He may as well get something out of it. So soon after Joseph made the decision to kill his son, he took out two life insurance policies on Joey. Totaling $45,000 in profit in the event of his son's death. Wow. And if you're like me, you're wondering how Michael felt about the idea of offing his own brother. Yeah. Well, according to Joseph, Mike and Joey were arch rivals. They're two years apart and they freaking hated each other. They hated each other's guts. And again, this is all according to Joseph. So we don't actually know if this is how I can totally see that being the case because, you know, he probably went out and committed a lot of crimes with Joey and then. Now he's giving Mike attention, and yeah, it's, I bet you but there's it, some a little rivalry there. Maybe, but it also goes back to that point earlier where he might be afraid that he's just trying to give his dad what he wants, and now that mm-hmm. his dad's talking about killing his other brother, he's like, oh, hell, I'm behind you 100%, dude, because I don't want you to fuck, you're going to go that far with him. Fuck that. Apparently, Mike had already suggested that they kill Joey on several occasions before the Lord suggested yep, it. there goes my theory. Well, no, that's according to Joseph Callinger, so... um. Take that with a grain of salt. So he was thrilled when his dad had told him it was actually time to do it, you know? He was like, hell yeah. Mike's exact response was allegedly, quote, oh, I forgot about this and I just said, hell yeah. It was, quote, hell yeah, let's throw him off a cliff. That's allegedly what his response was. Okay. Hell yeah, let's throw him off a cliff. So with the mission clear, Joe arranged... Joseph arranged a father-son trip to the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon with himself, Michael, and Joey. However, the three wouldn't make it that day. They missed the bus. Mm, Okay. So instead, Joe decided to take the boys to (laughs) the Pennsylvania mines, which, I mean, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a hell of a time in the Mines of Pennsylvania, you know? Sounds great to go up to. And that's, and that's just for, that's the northeast part of it. It's actually a lot of the state, but for like, if you're coming from Philly, you're going north. So once inside a mine, Joseph was struck with a very vivid hallucination. He saw a vision of himself lying on the floor, of course, naked. Motherfucker is always naked. And Joey was throwing branches over his naked body. Then Joey lit the branches on fire and sang joyfully as he watched his father burn. So Joseph was like, okay, I really got to kill him now. Like he was in go mode. But as Joseph was taking photographs of his two sons on their guys trip, Joseph claimed that the murderous urge just simply poof, left him. Poof. Gone. Or as he, as he puts it, quote, the cup had run dry. That's how he puts it. Oh, So the three of them went home, and Joseph had to come up with another plan. And this is absolutely the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard. Just Mm, great. Okay, so he looked around his neighborhood, Joseph did, and across from the Callinger home was a large truck container being stored in an empty parking lot. Okay. Joseph thought, hey, my 14-year-old son, Joey, is a chain smoker, which, by the way, was very true. He was a literal ass chain smoker, like back to back to back. Wow. Yeah, at fourteen. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Why don't we lure him, jo- Joseph? Thought. Why don't we lure him inside that truck container filled with gas? And the first time he flicks a cigarette, he'll burn to death. It's brilliant. Wow. 
I'm a genius, he said to mm. himself. And Mike was like, that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> Hell yeah, that's so smart, Einstein. <laughs> Everyone's so fucking smart. So Joseph told Mike how to lock his brother inside the container. Because, you know, he's not going to fucking do it. Right. So Joseph told Mike how to lock his brother inside the container. And staying behind, Mike and his older brother, Joey, went off to the empty parking lot. Once Joey was inside the container, cigarettes in hand, of course, Mike started to lock the container from the outside, but he was like, crap, I'm too short. <laughs> he, was a little, he was 12. Yeah. He was 4'11". Yeah. He's like our daughter's height. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he found, an old, <laughs> he found an old milk crate, and he wedged it between the trailer and a wall. Like, And he thought that that a lot. I know a couple of podcasts was like, why didn't you just stand on the milk crate? <laughs> But he didn't think of that. That's what I thought he was going to say. No, he just wedged it in between like the door and a wall, thinking that that would like lock him in. And then Mike went home. So once he was home, Mike and Joseph, they watched out their window and they waited. And sure enough, smart, s- smart, Mark, smart, smoke started oh, billowing. <laughs> smoke started billowing from the parking lot and they thought, we did it. Yes. Just as they were feeling as if they had succeeded, guess who showed up at the front door all covered in black soot? Joey probably like, what the fuck? Joey! And here's what's funny. Joey had zero freaking idea that his father and his brother were trying to murder him. It's not funny. But he just was clueless. He was like, this damn milk crate fell in front of this damn milk crate fell in front of the door and jammed the damn thing shut. Not like, where was my brother at? He was like, I had to kick the damn door open. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Oh, my God. It's not funny coming up, but I think that's kind of funny. That is hilarious. Anyways. Just the story that he was so, it's hilarious that he was so oblivious that he just, hey, the milk crate just landed here. <laughs> so, Joseph and Mike had again been unsuccessful in murdering Joey. We're not dealing with rocket scientists here, if you haven't. Clearly not the smartest people in the world. (laughs) But Joseph had a plan C, D, E? Whatever. We're on D now. Okay. Joseph received another message from God telling him. Seriously, dude, are you going to get this done or what? This is ridiculous. Yeah. God's really tired of waiting on you, Joseph. bored on you right here. Joseph received another message from God telling him a specific place where he would have success in murdering Joey, his son. Like, hey, dumbass, I'm going to give you everything you need to figure this out. Like On Market Street in Philly. Huh? Uh-huh. Market Street in yeah. Philly. Okay, well, there was, in 74, there was a block of abandoned shops, and that's where Joseph was told to carry out the mission. That's where it was going to happen. Okay, whatever. So Joseph and Mike told Joey that they were going out to one of those abandoned shops and they were going to break in. He already got Joey's attention there. He's a little hoodlum. They were going to break in and take some spooky photographs. And they were even going to bring props like locks and chains. Well, Joey was all for this. Apparently, he loved this kind of stuff and he loved having his picture taken. That's probably why they use that as a yeah. story. So the three broke into one of the old stores on July 28th, 1974, and they made their way down to the store's basement. Okay, I'm going to try to set the scene for you because this kind of confused me. 
Okay, in the basement, this is like a abandoned store. Like so there's abandoned. construction and abandoned construction. Okay. Storage stuff left over, yeah. boxes. Yeah. So in the basement, there was a ladder leaning on a platform that was about, the platform was about five feet above a very stagnant, disgusting pool of water that had collected down there. Oh, that's gross. That's been, yeah. been there for years. Well, Joseph was like, this is perfect for some pictures. And honestly, if you're taking spooky pictures, it probably was pretty perfect, but yeah. that's not what they're going to do. If you haven't guessed yet, Joseph was like, Hey, Joey, stand up against that ladder and let us chain you to its handles. And Joey's like, okay. So he backed up against the ladder facing forward. And then he proceeded to let, cause he wants his picture taken. Yeah. So he's going to face forward and like, right. I'm motioning to Pat how he was kind of chained up. He allowed his father and his brother to chain him up. Now, the original plan, according to Joseph, was to cut off his son's penis. Oh, okay. However, for some reason, as soon as his son was chained up, you know how Joseph always delegates shit because he doesn't want to get his hands dirty? His father just tipped the ladder forward into the stagnant water. And Joseph and Mike stood and watched as Joey, their own flesh and blood, slowly drowned to death because he was able for it. This took a while, guys, because he was able to get his head up out of because this was not a deep pool of water here. So he could pick his head occasionally just to get enough air to not die. Eventually, yeah. yeah I mean, it was a slow, awful 14. Drowning is already like one of the two worst ways to die, if you ask me. Awful. And you know, this kid, he, he, was, he, he was having a rough go of it right now. The kid had a chance to turn it around. This is just, it's awful. Just he a, didn't have to he's die. A hoodlum. No, he didn't need to die for sure. You were a hoodlum too, and look at you. <laughs> yeah, but that wasn't my dad. No, that's very good. <laughs> like, <laughs> thank God, right? <laughs> yeah, no so once they were certain that Joey was dead, Joseph hoisted up the ladder, unchained his limp son, and just left him there in the pool of water. Joseph later claimed that as he and Mike left the store, he just forgot about everything that had just unfolded. He had just, like with Jose Clazo, he just put it out of his mind. Wow. Yeah. So at 11 p.m. that same night, the same night that they killed Joey, they reported him missing. By who reported him missing? I don't know. I don't know if it, it was probably Joseph, to be honest. Like, where is he? <laughs> like, genuinely confused as to where he is. No, they probably got back home and were like, someone's going to miss it, notice that he's not around. Let's. Or maybe his mom. Was like, like, he probably talked. I guarantee you he talked to the family or either at least talked to his son, if not his wife. Yeah. And we're like, oh, we should probably like say he's missing so no one looks at us. The 14-year-old's body wouldn't be found for another two weeks. And those two weeks that Joey was being searched for by police... Joseph Callinger had actually been questioned several times by the cops. And he was their prime suspect. As you can imagine, Joseph, a known child abuser, was not well liked by Philly PD whatsoever. So they just wasted no time in taking a closer look at him. They're like, we already don't want, we think you're fucking weird, dude. You're weird. We know you've gotten in trouble before. Your kids are constantly getting in trouble. We like- don't like your stupid ass face. Is what they said. No, I'm joking. They didn't say that. But I, I mean, maybe they did. I would have said that. I want to be the. I want to see the pictures of 
the detectives or the police that interviewed this dude. One of them's last name was Funk. I just want to see their faces as they're talking to Oh, just wait, Pat. I have a story to tell you about an actual interrogation, and you are going to piss yourself laughing. Okay. 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 Maybe not laughing. Maybe crying and laughing. Anyways, we'll get there. I was just thinking, you know, I've done thousands of, like, interviews with people that, like, in the police days. I couldn't imagine my face if someone was telling even half this shit to me. I'd be like, huh? You don't hide your feelings very well. No, I, like, I have to catch myself even at work because people are saying shit that I think is the dumbest thing ever. And my face is, like, looking at them like, this person's stupid. Like, I just have that written across my face. Oh, my god! I'm a very expressive face. You, you do. Know? I know. Because you see it all the time when the kids are doing something. I'm either looking at them like, I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> Or I'm looking at him like, you're an idiot. Are you related to us? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So as Joseph was leaving the police station, still a free man, but still the number one suspect in his son's disappearance. They have no others. The only person to look at is him. He had a vision. (sighs) Joseph was actually walking down Market Street, the same street where he killed his son. Yeah. Um, when he saw in the distance the disembodied the disembodied head of a young boy bobbing up and down at eye level, and you're about to meet one of his key player, the a key player in this episode. Okie dokie. So listen to this. So, soak it in, guys. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't soak this in. So a disembodied head of a young boy bobbing up and down at eye level. Joseph tried to ignore it, but the head followed him home. Always concerning when a head follows you home, right? That's not a good thing. As the head crept closer, Joseph saw that it had no mouth and no nose, just skin stretched over a face. He described the boy's head as having, quote, pus white skin and, quote, eyes like small discs of brown cork surrounded by tiny veins of red worms and white fluid. Reaching his front door, Joseph went in, like he went inside, he unlocked the door and then he threw the keys at this head and then he slammed the door behind him. Like, take that bitch. I'm going to lock myself in here and literally just threw you the keys. But Take that bitch. Can you imagine? It's not funny. Why couldn't he have just said brown eyes that were bloodshot? I don't know. He's very descriptive, isn't he? It's really odd how we, and it's not like it was so bloodshot. It looked like he doesn't even use those words. It's like he's so abstract. Po- he's so poetic. Yeah, it's, it's so abstract. Later on, while at his shoe shop, the head reappeared to Joseph, and this time it talked to him. What's up, homie? Okay, so I was going to do my impression of how I feel the head sounds, but I'm not going to anymore. Oh. I know. We need some lightheartedness in this but this remember this is gonna this this name is gonna come up several times in this episode but the head said in a high-pitched voice as if it was coming from a speaker because remember it has it has skin stretched over mouth hi my name's charlie <laughs> so charlie take him to candy mountain Joey. charlie <laughs> creepiest kids cartoon ever what do you say where's my oh where's my kidney where's my freaking kidney where's my freaking kidney dude <laughs> Inside joke, sorry. Kids cartoons. <laughs> What's well, on YouTube? Just look it up. 
Candy Mountain Charlie, the Candy unicorn. Mountain. Charlie the unicorn. Charlie the unicorn. Yeah. Candy Mountain. It is seriously so dark, Welcome but it's hilarious. Welcome to Candy Mountain, Charlie. <laughs> We're going to Candy Mountain. Oh crap! Where's my kid? <laughs> okay, Charlie's not done talking, Patrick. Oh, wonderful! Don't interrupt Charlie because I don't want this thing to show up. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> so Charlie the head then said, "I belong to you, and you belong to me." The next time Charlie showed up to Joseph was, was that a, here you go, Pat. It was a very inopportune time. Hmm. Charlie appeared while Joseph was being interrogated at the police station in regards to his son's now murder because his son's body was found. Oh. So this was, and it was, he was being interrogated by a captain. So he's literally being interrogated and. By a captain. The fucking head shows up. Mm-hmm. During the questioning, Charlie appeared just over the police captain's left shoulder and said, quote, Every cop here would love to see you in your coffin. <laughs> to which Joseph responded loudly, Shut up! Like in real life, not just in his mind. Yeah, like he just screamed out, Shut up at it. Well, the cop thought Joseph was telling him to shut up and he got super pissed off. He was like, Shut up, I'm gonna fuck you up. <laughs> <laughs> floating head tells him to sh- to the, the cops are gonna watch him in the coffin and he screams shut up and the cops are so into the just so it's like not like, you bro not you bro the head behind you the floating <laughs> head told me some shit that I don't like about y'all like, <laughs> well Pat five hours of this shit went on five hours of him like dealing with Charlie and this police captain and he was having back and forth with Charlie and then simultaneously trying to speak to the police. But somehow, after all that, he was like, let go. Unfortunately. That motherfucker would be on a 24-hour psych hold right now. <laughs> Unfortunately, they didn't feel that they had anything to hold. And I, I do see this. It's really infuriating. It's one of those things that is super infuriating. But, I mean, I'm just talking about the crime, not his um, mental state. Yeah. Unfortunately, they didn't feel they had anything to hold him on because the only evidence they had that was concrete on Joseph um, was that he had taken out life insurance policies before Joey's death. But that's very much circumstantial. Circumstantial. They didn't feel like that would be enough to take to trial, you know? No. So they they let him go. I mean, I don't know the rules of the police had in 1974, but I feel like if I'm interrogating this dude for five hours... And he's having a conversation with me, and half the conversation, it sounds like he's talking to somebody else. They, you could get him on a 24-hour cycle. You could. He might have thought maybe he was on the, the captain. Drugs. I mean, maybe. Uh, I'm making excuses for these cops, and well, I shouldn't be, but I'm playing devil's advocate. Maybe he thought he was on drugs. Yeah, no, maybe I can, I get that. it was the 70s, you know? So that's what I'm saying. I don't, I know. don't know what it was like back then, but yeah. to me, that's just like, I can't book this dude. We, we think he murdered somebody, his own son. Right? Yeah. We don't have any evidence, but he's fucking talking to something in the room that's not here. Yeah. Psych hold. Worst case scenario, he's there for 24 hours, they let him go. Best case, they say he's fucking crazy. Yeah. Well, and then you, and you have enough time to solve the case. But think of how many psychiatric encounters that he's had as of late. And he was like, let go because he's perfectly fine. Yeah, but he wasn't I wonder if this cop on his, on his file... Like, he saw the psychiatrist notes from the last time that he had to check in with the psychiatrist. And he, I wonder if he 
communicated, this captain communicated with that psychiatrist and was like, is he good or is he on drugs? And maybe the psychiatrist was like, no, he's good, bro. He's like, oh, he must be high then. <laughs> yeah. They wouldn't have done that after the fact. They wouldn't have been able to sit there and do that while they're holding them. Yeah. And also, I'm also wondering, because I'm not from Philly, obviously, like you are, is is Philly just overrun at this time with crime? Are they super busy and not having time for this? Because uh, <laughs> they seem busy. <laughs> I mean, Philly's one of those cities just like any other. It's busy with crime at times. I mean, in the 70s. Do you, I know it was before your time, but I, I think the mafia was still a big thing around then. Mm-hmm. And Philly's the next stop from New York. I mean, there's a lot of mob ties. Yeah, in that's Philly. true. There's a lot of organized crime ties in Philly. So a lot, you know, crimes obviously they weren't well um, investigated, and, and in know, my the, opinion. The area that choosing my words. Living in is not like the art district or something. No, like no, you know he's, he's living not, in. So you're not going so, to have crime in those areas, right? In any city. So. Like the boys' disappearance, Jose Colazo just kind of well, like gets said, swept under so the rug ones, with right? the rest. I would equate it here in Houston as like probably like a Sharpstown. Like, oh, okay. It's got some okay areas, these mm-hmm. areas. It's got some bad areas, but it's not, you know, one of the. It's, it's not, not all bad. It's not third or fifth. For world. sure. It's not yeah. Sunnyside. It's not these areas where you just don't want to be. Right. But it's not where, you know, a suburb. Right. Okay. I gotcha. So, my long story short is. There was crime. There's always going to be crime in those areas of the city, but I think I think back then there was more organized crime. Like there was a lot of crime back in the seventies, and probably dirty cops too. I'm sure there where there's organized crime, there's, there's, organized there's, dirty, crime, there's dirty cops and politicians, of course. There's, there's, Ow, there's hit my foot. Literally bribery everywhere. Yeah. So back in the lovely Callenger home, Betty, remember Betty? Yeah. Joseph's wife had just given birth <laughs> to a baby girl. They need another kid, don't they? They need four, Mm -hmm. but no more. And since she was pregnant, I guess they got rid of one. I don't know. Well, you killed one. You have to have another one, right? Sure. So they just gave birth to a baby girl named Bonnie. This is going to get super sick, Pat. Oh, God. (laughs) Bonnie had been born with a condition. Okay, bear with me. I'm going to try to pronounce this. Cutis marmorata telengi... Tactica con- congenita. Okay. Bless you. Thank you. I I nailed it. Oh, I thought you sneezed. I nailed that, right? I don't know. I can't see it. I don't want to. Nailed it. I either nailed that or summoned something from the other word, <laughs> underworld. Isn't that like Cardi B's real name? Mm-hmm. Oh, it is. Anyways, <clears throat> excuse me. This is a condition that people can be born with. And it causes the skin to be covered in, like, purple patches. Apparently, it's not painful. I could be wrong. But I know that there is, still to this day, no known cure. Even and back in the 70s, definitely not. Oh, no. yeah. However, Joseph came up with a cure. Joseph had a vision. I know. You just deflated on me. <laughs> yeah, I did. And y'all. This vision is so out there. I'm going to describe it to the best of my ability because the author uh, of the book, yeah, yeah. yeah, the book, Flora Schreiber, she described it so beautifully. And I just don't have the gigabytes to read that whole excerpt. So it's going to kind of be like a Courtney rough draft. Oh, Lord. I know. I tried to make it make sense and make it decent. You know what I mean? Because it's rough. So easily done in here. 
Okay. You ready? <laughs> Go for it. Rip the bandit off. So Joe had a vision that he was walking down a long hallway holding a crystal wand. The hallway ended and opened up to a road that led to a one-story house. Okay? Suddenly, golden shoelaces started falling from the sky, and angels came down singing Joseph's praises. I'm not going to sing the song that he described the lyrics to. Holy shit, okay. Just say you're welcome. Thank you. Then a naked woman, of course, everyone's naked in his visions. Then a naked woman appeared in the middle of the road, squatting, and where her head should be, like, so on her shoulders, was a demon with a big, erect penis. Hmm. As Joseph looked over the woman, he noticed that the woman, of course, had, like, super big boobs, right? And her whole body cavity was exposed. Like, exposed. All of her innards were exposed. And hanging from her nipples was a tiny man with a toad's head and wings like a bat. And the, like, toad-headed bat wing guy also had an erection. Okay? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I am very rarely stumped for words. I'm not done. And sitting inside the woman's exposed body cavity, because you know she, like, her whole innards are exposed, just chilling amongst her intestines was Joseph's baby daughter, Bonnie. So Joseph waved his crystal wand, still in hand, and the wand turned into a dried-up penis, startling Joseph, causing him to throw it to the ground. Oh, but the vision's not done yet. Don't worry. Oh, my Lord. It just gets crazier, dude. (laughs) Just wait. Joseph suddenly heard the sound of a raging fire. So he followed it, and he found people with tree branches for arms who were bound by chains, and they were groaning and screaming as they were being consumed by the fire. And on the ground beside them were empty shoes, dancing. The empty shoes were dancing to, the, to their cries of pain. And here's the crazy part. <laughs> we haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> to this point, it's been sane. I mean, duh. Okay. The face of the devil appeared to Joseph. Again. And this is the part that I will forever hold on to, and I cannot get out of my mind. The face of the devil appeared to Joseph and morphed into a huge vagina. And the vagina then talked to Joseph in a very seductive voice. And he said, or she said, I'm not sure. I don't want to assume the vagina's gender for sure. I know what'll cure Bonnie, said the vagina. Take my fluid Mix it with your semen and with perfume and put the liquid on Bonnie's sores. End quote, said the vagina. And Joseph was like, okay. <laughs> so he now had like a recipe to cure his daughter. So all Joseph needed was some perfume and some vaginal fluid. Okay. 
Okay. Okay. Are you okay, honey? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. You need a break? I don't you need know. to cuddle? I don't know what the <laughs> fuck just happened. You need me to hold you? <laughs> you need to stop talking about this crazy motherfucker. <laughs> Golly. So, Joseph decided that his wife, Betty, she was too old and dried up. I mean, it'd be like that sometime, you know? So, Joseph and Mike now were on a mission to find someone younger. And as you may guess, this is not going to end well, guys. No. So, Mike and Joseph grabbed um, a super advanced kill kit. It was a, a butcher's knife, a brown paper bag, and one latex glove. Okay? <laughs> and they bore... <laughs> what? And they boarded a bus headed for the suburban town of Lindenwold, New Jersey. I don't know where that... You lived in New Jersey, too. So, do you know where that is? No. It's one of them tiny-ass towns. Okay. It's in the sub- of suburban Lindenwold. Once they arrived, Joe sent 12-year-old Mike, of course, out to find Scout, Scout, for a good home to break into. Uh, one, preferably, that had a younger woman occupant that was home alone. Well, Mike spotted a woman walking into her house, and to make sure that she was alone, Mike knocked on her door. Please do not forget that Mike is 12 years old. That's it, This is insane to me. That is insane. When she answered, he knocked on her door, she answered. Well, he was like, do you want to buy some Thai clasps for me? Clasps. Clasps. Okay. That's a hard word. Clasps. clasps. Clasps, plural. Clasps. I can't say that. Anyways. Well, she was like, no, thank you. And she told Mike that her husband didn't wear it, right? And Mike, wanting to make sure that her husband wasn't around, he was like, okay, well, is your husband home so that I can ask him myself? And the woman let him know that she was all by herself, home alone. Well, with that... Mike returned to his dad and let him know that he had found the perfect house for him, right? This woman's home alone. So the two knocked on the woman's door, and when she answered, Joseph just pushed his way in and immediately forced the terrified woman to strip down. Then they brought her to her bedroom, laid her down on the bed, and bound her ankles and wrists to the bed springs with shoelaces before putting a pillowcase over her head, which I don't know why they did that. She already saw them, you know? Screams, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. A pillowcase? Whatever. Then they went out and ransacked her home for valuables for a few minutes before returning to the bedroom. Joe then told Mike that he wanted to be alone with their hostage. So obediently... Mike left the room, leaving Joseph Callinger alone with this poor woman. Just go ahead and trigger warning here. Yeah, I don't I even know what to say because it's, I don't even know how to trigger warning it. I well, really don't know how. Point, you can figure that. But I mean, it's all triggering, but this is like, that's very triggering. Okay. So Joe was alone with this poor woman. And it was then that Joseph claimed to have a vision. He saw a shadowy figure of a man facing a woman whose mouth was open in a silent scream. Very 
What's that movie where the mouth is open and a silent scream of a woman? I can't remember. Is it The Grudge? No, it's not The Grudge. The Ring? The Ring. Well, her mouth's open. No, it's The Grudge. It's The Grudge. Yeah. So very Grudge-esque. And the man was jabbing a knife in and out of the woman repeatedly. Well, upon further inspection, Joseph realized that this shadowy figure was, in fact, him. It was Mm. his double. Oh, okay. Okay. And he took this vision to mean that he needed to stab his terrified hostage. Okay. His double, by the way, side note real quick, his double is going to come back and going to play a very intricate part in future crimes. Okay. Okay. Kind of like Charlie. Okay, so he feels that he now needs to stab his terrified hostage that's tied up on the bed watching this bitch stare at the wall Mm -hmm. and, like, have these visions. I mean, can you imagine being in this? (laughs) No. (laughs) But before he could do that, he had to fulfill the talking vagina's command and gather all of the ingredients needed to cure his baby daughter. Right. He's on a mission to cure his baby daughter. He needs vaginal fluid, okay? And perfume. Okay. So according to the, quote, recipe, he needed semen. So he tried He tried to rape his hostage. However, he had some, some issues. Mm-hmm. So he had to resort to, I'm putting this as nicely as I can. He had to resort to rubbing against her until like a, pitiful little leaked out and he was like okay i got that he had that then he used his finger to gather whatever he could from inside of her and he placed that inside of a rubber glove that Mm. he had bought with him inside his super duper advanced kill kit okay then he stole a bottle of perfume from the woman's dresser before realizing that the murderous rages had left him. Oh. So, you know, sometimes it, it'd be like that. It happens. Okay. So with all of the ingredients he needed to complete his tincture. His potion. Mike and Joe just simply left with this terrified woman tied up, so confused. And, I mean... Probably traumatized, of course, but like what just happened? You know, he stared after tying her up. He, you know, he stared at the wall for like 20 minutes with a vision and she's like, what's going on? (laughs) Okay. So luckily the woman lived, although I cannot fathom the damage that this caused her, but she lived. So we'll take it. Good. Yeah. That's that's something. Okay, guys, you ready for this? No, you're not. But here we go. Once they were home, Joe mixed their bodily fluids mm-hmm. that he stored inside the latex glove with uh, with the stolen perfume and then some warm water. And y'all, he rubbed this on his baby skin sores every single day for a week. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's just... I think that's the most disturbing... Mm, yeah, it's it's probably it's up there. It's up there. It that's <clears throat> this is a inf- like a literal. I think she's a newborn. A newborn, yeah. Not surprisingly, I mean, I know this is shocking. This mixture tincture 
did nothing for his daughter's skin, <gasps> for his daughter's skin condition. It probably made it worse, probably. to be honest. However, at the end of that week, Charlie, you remember Charlie, the floating, floating head, the yep. floating head, little boy's head, appeared to Joseph. Oh. At first, he taunted and mocked Joseph for failing to cure his daughter. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna spare you the quote that Charlie said. Don't worry. I'm just okay. gonna. I'm just gonna leave it out. Okay. But then he gave Joseph a new mission. Go out again with Michael the following day. Find a house and murder everyone inside. I'm going to need you to find a house and just kill everyone inside. And this is going to make up for what an F up that you are. Okie dokie. Okay. After Charlie disappeared, Joseph had another vision. (laughs) Again, he claimed to have seen his double, the same double of himself that he had seen in his last victim's bedroom. I told you to hold on to that. Yeah. Joseph began refer, referring to his double as, quote, the supreme power. It's going to play a huge, huge role in some upcoming um, crimes. Okay. I don't know what to call them. I don't either. So his double is known as the supreme power for whatever reason. I'm not sure if it commanded him to give like himself this name, but whatever. Fuck, I, I, I don't know. I'm only telling you because it's going to come up again. Anyways, Joseph claimed to have seen this supreme power once again, stabbing a woman repeatedly. But this time, after stabbing her, Patrick, the power poured lighter fluid into the woman's eyes. Mm, It was now very clear what Joseph had to do. Yeah, very much so. You know who it's uh, reminding me of at this point? No, I do not. What's his name? No, no one ever. The Kansas City Butcher. Remember the one that used the um, Drano? Yeah, oh, in the ears oh, and stuff? God, oh, God, that's so bad. Yeah. Oh. Anyways. I forgot about, thanks, I forgot about that guy. You're welcome. <laughs> this is what I needed, a reminder of something else that, oh, I'm here for you, baby. I Here we are again, this midway point, not midway point, but. Do you want a hug real quick? Over an hour into the episode, and my brain is, is at the point where it's no longer processing shit. Do you need me? It's just me? not even processing anything. It's just like, whatever. Do you need me to cuddle you? You're like, believe how fucked up this is. I'm like, whatever. Just whatever. I kept trying to tell you. I'm like, whatever. I kept trying to tell you. Oh. It's about to get a whole lot worse here. Whatever. <laughs> you don't understand. So, at 11.30... Like broad ass daylight. This oh, is 11 30, like AM. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, everything from here on out is like early morning. Oh. These are not night owls we're talking about. The only late night murder was at 6 30 PM. And that was um <laughs> supper time murder. Yeah, supper time murder. There's no, these are like these are people that need their beauty rest, okay? We get to bed and get to sleep early tonight. So let's just fucking kill now. Which thank God, because eyewitnesses Put these assholes behind bars. I mean, yeah, that that is a blessing to it there. So at 11.30, Joe and Mike headed to, (laughs) again, Mike's 12. It's still so hard for me to believe this because we have a 13-year-old and she's, she's like, she's a baby. You know what I mean? (sighs) Okay. So at 11.30, Joe and Mike headed to, okay, Patrick, I need help with this pronunciation of this township in Pennsylvania. Okay. Susquehanna. Susquehanna. Oh, Susquehanna. 
Susquehanna. Okay. So Joe and Mike headed to Susquehanna Township in Pennsylvania, and they broke into a very nice two-story home while the owner was out running errands, and they waited inside for her to return. God, can you imagine? Like, how many times have you gone to the store early and, and then come home, and you're not, like, looking around. Yeah, it's walking, daylight. He's walking from the store. It's the grocery store. You walk in with a... Too many bags in your arms because you don't want to make more trips. And yeah, you're exactly. Not paying attention. You're oh throwing stuff God, in. Oh, terrifying. Okay. New fear unlocked. <laughs> oh, great. So once she did, once she came home, these assholes immediately grabbed her, pointed a gun to her head, and they led her upstairs to a bedroom where they tied her to the bed. Trigger warning? I don't know. what It's not rape, but... Just leave it there. It's just trigger warning. Just say trigger warning. I don't even know what to say Stop about Stop trying this. to put a label on the okay. trigger warnings in okay. this, because just, just say trigger warning. Joseph then took out two cotton balls, soaked them in lighter fluid, mm-hmm, mm-mm, mm-mm. and placed them on her eyes mm-mm. before covering nearly, probably just, it said nearly, but I would imagine, like, he left out just the nose area, Nearly her entire face in adhesive tape. (sighs) Now, here's what terrifies me. Joseph's original plan was to set the woman on fire. But just as he was reaching for the, like, whole-ass can of lighter fluid to douse upon her, the murderous rage just left left him. him. Just left him. So he stopped. And Joseph would talk about this later with the author. And you know what he said? He you said, clearly no. I felt so silly. You felt silly? <laughs> Motherfucker, <laughs> what? S- now is when you feel silly? You feel silly? Silly's the word you use? I felt silly when I accidentally farted one time in the middle of the grocery store. You don't feel silly when you I almost light someone day. on fire. No, I don't. <laughs> you don't feel silly when you almost light someone on fire, you know, and give them a, a torturous, horrible death. Yeah. That's not when you feel silly. No. None of this is silly, but it's like... If That's all the, things, the word he chooses. No, I'm just saying, but and, and of all the things, too, you get to this point and now it feels silly? This now feels you, silly. Now you feel silly. Old floating ass head walking around talking shit to you all day long. I mean, it probably was real. Boner visions. Yeah. I mean, now it's silly? Talking vaginas. I think I blocked people, that part out. People with branches for arms, dancing and burning to death. Killing three billion people by... Cutting off their genitals. But now you feel silly. I mean, okay. Anyways, Joseph and Mike were starting actually just to leave the home because, you know, nothing else to do. I just put lighter fluid in her. I broke in this woman's house. I put some lighter fluid in her eyes and I'm done. (laughs) That's literally what happened. I I know. I know. I'm staring at you like. (gasps) Okay. So they decided to leave her home. But while they were walking down the stairs, the doorbell rang. Oh, good. Unbeknownst to Joseph, their victim had planned a whole ass luncheon, a luncheon for the that day. So her guests were beginning to arrive. So surprisingly, every time a guest showed up, Pat, Michael and Joe would force them upstairs and restrain each of them with wire hangers from a closet. Like, yeah, by the end Total, they had four people restrained. Wow. Yeah. So, plus the homeowner. Plus the homeowner. Oh, okay. So, five total. Yeah. No. 
Four total plus, so three guests oh, three, and her. her. Yeah, because it was a luncheon. This is where it just gets beyond bonkers to me. Okay, so <laughs> no, and this is this is actually like I, I know, played. I know you say I, is where it's, I just made that comment because it's like at this well, point it's I know, bonkers. I guess, <laughs> but I'll tell you how bonkers it gets. Okay, I struggled with if I should put this in here, but if I didn't, you wouldn't know why. The next thing happens. Okay. I, I had no choice. Michael, again, 12 years old, <laughs> is upstairs. I, th- I believe he had a gun holding all these people hostage. Okay. So he has all the hostages upstairs at gunpoint. And Joe is downstairs in the dining room, probably waiting for the doorbell ring to ring again. Okay. okay? Well, in the dining room, Joe had a, a vision, but... This is going to be, in my opinion, the craziest part of this episode. Okay. Okay. And you got to bear with me. Warning. This vision is long. It's vulgar. I even, like, Mr. Rogers it, and it's just not a lot I can do. But this is just, I have to get the point across. Okay. Okay. So Joseph Witness, do you remember the supreme power? It's his double. It's his double. shadow. Yes. He entered the dining room. And behind him were all four of the hostages. All all of them were women. There were no male hostages upstairs. Okay. So behind the supreme power, his double, were all four hostage women following behind him. Again, not really in his vision. Okay. <clears throat> then the supreme power, of course, stripped all of the women and laid them out on the floor before cutting off their breasts and putting the breasts in plastic bags. Okay? I'm not happy saying this, so don't make that face because we haven't even gotten to the craziest part. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm just <laughs> trying to get through this. This is like... Then he gutted the women. Of course he did. He removed... I'm just going to broad strokes here. All He gutted the women, removing all their organs intestines of course their sexual organs he very much focused on those we gotta kill those that's how you kill them then joseph watched as the supreme power took all of the innards for lack of a better word all of the innards away he assumed into the kitchen to prepare a meal okay soon after time the supreme power returned But this time he was wearing an apron made of like fine linen, very fine linen. And he was carrying golden serving dishes filled with these like innately prepared innards of each woman. Okay. Okay. (sighs) I'm very uncomfortable too, guys. I'm sorry. Then the supreme power morphed. For lack of a better word. I okay. don't know what else to say. Hopefully it's not a vagina. Um, no. Mm-mm. Next obvious thing. Uh, so he morphed from this ultimate being into, quote, Joseph's words, the perfect waiter. Okay? Following? Mm-hmm. So he's now he's now like a, is it maitre d'? Yeah, what, basically. Okay. That's your perfect idea. They're like, oh, maitre d'. Finally, the perfect waiter brought out a sterling silver platter. 
like very ceremonial. Yeah. Okay. On it were all four women's heads seemingly staring up to the ceiling with an apple in each of their mouths. Okay. Okay. And in the middle of the heads was our boy Charlie. Charlie's head. The, the floating head is back on the serving plate. With then, <laughs> suddenly, into the dining room walks what Joseph... Remember, we're still in the vision, guys. We're not in real life, okay? We, we're trying to get through this. Okay, vision. I know. But it's very important, so hang on. So, suddenly, into the dining room walks what Joseph assumed to be the homeowner, the woman homeowner's the husband. husband, okay? So okay, he was naked. Like I mean, duh, everyone's naked in Joseph's vision. Okay, and he was also blindfolded, walking. Yeah, I, maybe he was being guided by a vagina. I don't know. <laughs> this is Joseph's vision. Okay, don't ask questions. <laughs> trying to get some clarity here for something. <clears throat> so the perfect waiter sat him at the very beautifully prepared table. So he was blindfolded, so he wasn't able to see, like, the horrors that lay before him, right? Right, and the perfect waiter was mm-hmm. walking in there. Okay. Um, so he sat him at the well-prepared table, and he tied them. He tied him, the husband, to a chair by the chest, leaving his arms free to, like, serve and feed himself, like this five-star mystery meal. Okay. After he was done eating, and he very much enjoyed himself, he was laughing and giggling the whole time. The waiter removed his blindfold and the man saw his wife's decapitated head. And then the, he laid his eyes on the horrific meal that he had just consumed and he screamed and then fainted. Yeah, sounds about right. Then the perfect waiter once again, then morphed back into the Supreme Power. And Mighty Morphin Power Ranger over here. He is. He's Mighty Morphin. Is he the Blue Ranger, you think? No. Okay. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> not any Ranger, I know. So he he's now Joseph's double. He's the Supreme Power. So the husband's passed out. The Supreme Power walks up to the husband, cuts off his genitals, okay? Mm-hmm. And then cuts off his head. Okay. He then... The supreme power, of course, duh. Around, <laughs> arranged the head of the husband, um, r- s- like seated in a place right next to the head of the wife. Of course. Okay. Do you remember the wife had an apple placed in yes. her mouth? Okay. Well, the husband in his mouth, the supreme power placed his testicles. Okay. Okay. Are you getting like um, Silence of the Lamb vibes? No. Remember the scene at the table where he was eating his own brain? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Are you not getting that? No, I'm getting more, um, is it Dead Presidents? Mm-mm. Really? Mm, when they were in maybe? Vietnam and one of their buddies got killed and they cut his dick off and put it in his mouth and tied him to a tree. Really, it's a really, like, specific kind of scene. Patrick, we've been married for 10 years. I don't think I've seen Dead Presidents. There's been a couple of times in our marriage that we've had this conversation and you're like, wait, what? You've never seen that? There's a few of them. What was the last movie? It was Hellraiser. Yeah. You're like, wait, what? No, and also Natural Born Killers. Natural you're like, you've never fucking seen Natural Born Killers. And I got messages after that episode. They were like, wait, Courtney, you've never seen Natural Born Killers? And I'm you, like, you I watched know. it after that. You no, I tried. You weren't a fan. 
Those are weird me, 90s Tarantino-ish. I have a thing. I have a thing where, you know me, I love horror. I love gore. I love it. But there's a certain type of movie that I can't get through, and that is very much a, um, not all Tarantino, but Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And Natural Born Killers. I know it's not Tarantino, right? No, I don't think it is. But it gave me that Pulp Fiction vibe, and it just it makes my skin crawl. I'm not... It's like a deliverance thing. Yeah, well, I, like I get it. that because when I first the first couple of times I saw Pulp Fiction, I couldn't stand it. It's I've grown to love it, but I could. It, it was just that vibe. I know the vibe you're talking about. Natural Born Killers has that vibe. That I don't weird like it. transitional I don't music like it. and stuff. It's Mm-mm. just no great acting because it's so believable. But so remember, this is just a vision of Joseph's. Sure, he's downstairs. In a dining room alone, while his twelve-year-old ass son is upstairs holding four women hostage. And I'm glad you recapped that because we're so deep into that I vision know, that I we're know. all like, "What is going on right now?" So we forget that. It, so four hostages are very much alive upstairs, bound up in a bedroom with a twelve-year-old boy the, pointing a gun at him. Holding a gun at him. He's twelve. Can you believe that naked, shit? Aren't they? Oh, yeah, I'm sure he was loving it, asshole. Okay, guys, this is nuts. Joseph believed that this vision that he just had, like, was actual real-ass life. Like, he had actually killed everyone in the house and incoming husbands and stuff, just as Charlie had instructed him, like, kill everyone in the next house. He He thinks it's real. And that's how real this vision was to him. So much so... That he called up to Mike, like, all right, everyone's dead. Come on, let's go. And Mike came down and they left. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, he's so disassociated. It's ridiculous. Well, he he really believed that this was real. But he's watching it. You know what I'm saying? So he's so disassociated from what's actually happening with his visions that he literally thinks he's seeing himself do these things. I know. It's, I mean, mm. I, I don't even know what to say. Like, mm. I don't want to say wow, but. Mm. <laughs> wow is the, is the equivalent of wow in the other direction. Like, that's bad. Okay. So, after this home invasion, Mike and Joseph continued their break-ins and assaults. Each time, they were increasing their brutality, but they weren't murdering anyone yet. Yet. Again. Yet. Again. Again, because... Yeah. <laughs> yet again. Because <laughs> they've killed a couple people already. Unfortunately. That's not... that. This is going to lead us to Joseph's final murder. He's going to come to a stop eventually, I promise. Fantastic. <laughs> Same. On the morning of January 8th, 1975, Joseph and Mike took a bus to the suburb of Leonia, New Jersey. Familiar? No? Okay. Mike first approached a home. He knocked on the door. And while Joseph was standing off to the side, like out of sight, right? So mm-hmm. his dad was off to the side. So if the homeowner looked through the window, it would They're just, just be see him. He's like Mike. The and he's 12. He's like, oh, a cute little kid. So when a woman opened the door, Joseph like popped out and just pushed his way inside. Immediately, the terrified woman announced to the intruders, like, hey, my 
elderly ailing grandmother is upstairs in bed. Like, please stop. But, of course, Joseph doesn't give a shit. shit. Yeah. Yeah. So he proceeded to make the woman strip down naked before leaving the homeowner with his gun-wielding son, Michael, so that he could go upstairs and kill the elderly woman. Yeah, yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? But just as Joseph started up the stairs, the doorbell rang. And Joseph and Mike once again <laughs> walked in on a social ass function. <laughs> <laughs> These dudes. <laughs> it's just their lunch. Oh <laughs> okay. So, see, the homeowner's father had just fallen extremely ill and he had suffered a, a really bad heart attack and they didn't think he was going to make it. So, friends and family were coming over for like a luncheon yeah. <laughs> to show their support. But Joseph was okay with this because remember he's got to kill three billion people so the more people who walk into this house the closer it gets him to his goal they literally just done the same thing without killing everybody well i mean he's got three billion people to kill but i'm just saying like it's not like he's not accustomed to this like he yeah. literally was just in someone's house kidnapping people so, like, as they walked in the door the more the merrier <laughs> why not <laughs> efficiency is the name of the game by they the way it easy for him they're just he's just Lame as the slaughter. By the way, speaking of efficiency in jail later, spoiler alert, he gets caught, thank God. He talks about how he admired, not the Nazis, but the Nazis' like efficiency in the mass genocide that they... So the concentration camps he admired. Well, I mean, he is presented with a mission from God to kill three billion people. That's way bigger than the Nazi undertaking. He has a chore lined up. Have some compassion, Patrick. It's like a thousand times the Nazi undertaking. <laughs> I know. I'm being sarcastic. I know. I'm way. just okay. saying like so, he admires concentration camps. Cool. He admires their efficiency. I don't care what he admires about them. He admires something about them. That's fucking awful. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So when the woman, the homeowner's sister and her son, they were the one ringing the doorbell. They were greeted by Joseph, who then just brought them inside, forced them inside. He stripped them down. Next, the two uh, two women and a man showed up. Again, Joseph brought them inside and stripped them naked. I'm not giving names because these people survived. Okay? Just hint here. I don't want you to think I'm insensitive and not, like, giving details about victims. No. They survived. They don't need to relive this. Okay? Okay. Finally, a young woman would arrive by the name of Maria Fashing. She was 21. She was a nurse who had taken a day off from work to stop by and show some support for her good friend whose father had just suffered a horrible heart attack. Okay. Well, for some reason, Joseph did not pull Maria in the house by force when she rang the doorbell, but rather he was like, Hi, how are you? Come on inside. And she was like, oh, okay. Yeah. But she didn't know. She, she was a friend. Yeah, she was like, oh, this is a distant relative. Like or a cousin, a yeah. friend that's just handling like the reception duties, whatever. Exactly. But when Maria entered, she saw all of the guests not only naked, but now they were all tied up at this point. Yeah. And everyone was just sitting terrified on the floor, which is horrifying. I can't even imagine what I would do. But instead of showing fear and trying to run, Maria was a badass 
And she just darted towards the hostages and began to untie everyone. And she kept doing it despite Joseph and Mike saying, stop, 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 until Mike pointed a gun to her face and was like, I said, stop. And that's when she finally was like, okay, okay, calm down. Well, Joseph then had one of his visions just about that time. He saw a hunting knife, the same one that he actually had had on him at that time. Of course. And it was floating through the air. This is very reminiscent from after his surgery when he saw his father's hunting knife. Mm -hmm. Well, on the end of that knife, Patrick, was something very tiny. It was his penis. I was say his dick. <laughs> okay, it's not funny. Big dick motherfucker. Then Charlie appeared. Of course. It's not a party, a party until Charlie shows up Parley. It's not a party without Charlie. That's what we're going to start calling it. It's a party. What's a party? I'm just going to call it a party with Charlie. Then Charlie appeared and told Joe, and I'm also paraphrasing this because Charlie is not nice. He uses very bad words. Okay, so Charlie appeared and told Joe that his mission was to cut off a penis of one of his male hostages that day. Mm, Okay. Okay? Okay. So, paraphrasing this, by the way. So, in obedience, Joseph grabbed the male hostage that was in the home. Okay, there Mm -hmm. was one. Well, other than the little boy. Yeah. Yeah. Grabbed the male hostage and led him downstairs to the basement where he tied that poor man to a big water pipe and then bound his wrists and ankles. He then took his hunting knife. Remember, this poor guy's naked. Mm -hmm. So embarrassing and terrifying and humiliating and just all the emotions. Okay, then he took his hunting, Joseph took the hunting knife and poked at the man's testicles. And just as he was thinking about cutting off all of his stuff, he was then struck, Joseph was, with a brilliant idea. He has some brilliant ideas, okay? Why not delegate this task to someone else was his idea. Okay, so... I get that. I mean, (laughs) I don't want to be holding some dude dick. I'm just saying. He doesn't like to do the dirty work if he doesn't have to, of course. We've seen a pattern. But then sometimes he has these, like... That's what's so confusing about him. He has these... Convictions? Floods of violence. And, and he's just like, ah, I left. Yeah. And if you stay tuned until the end, you're going to see, you're going to hear a quote from him. And it's like, so violent. So Joseph went back upstairs where the hostages were being held at gunpoint by freaking Michael. According to Joseph, he randomly picked Maria for the job. Okay. To cut off said man's penis. Okay. So he instructed Maria. He was like, get up. And then he blindfolded her, which I have no idea why, before leading her downstairs into the basement. Well, once inside the basement, Joseph removed her blindfold. You know, she's terrified. And he said, quote, I'm going to say this twice just so it sinks in, okay? Chew off this guy's penis or die. Oh. One more time. Chew, chew (laughs) off this guy's penis or die. My girl, Maria, she looked at Joseph and she said, kill me. She's like, fuck that. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that shit. 
She said, quote, kill me. I don't care if I live. I mean, she's just a no, badass bitch. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you, girlfriend. Okay. And without pause, Joseph Callinger stabbed his knife into the right side of her neck, just as he did. He claimed that Charlie appeared to him and urged him. I'm not going to quote Charlie, by the way, anymore, because I'm so tired of Charlie's bullshit. <laughs> but Charlie kept urging him to keep stabbing. So he did again and again in the neck, the back, and the chest. Golly. Joseph claimed that Maria never fell to the ground. Like, she just kept standing the whole time being stabbed. And in the end, she was stabbed a total of five times. Mm. The only reason Joseph stopped the stabbing was because he suddenly heard Mike calling for him upstairs. One of their hostages had escaped, and they were running down the street yelling for help. Oh, yeah, that's not good. So with that, Joseph started up the stairs of the basement, and according to him, before he exited the basement, he glanced back to find Maria standing in a pool of blood, swaying or rocking back and forth, and he would eerily recount, it looked like she was dancing. Oh. Which, guys, we don't really believe anything he says. But no, we really don't. I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's, how do you believe half the shit comes out of his dude's mouth? Unfortunately, Maria was just shy of her 22nd birthday. She she died from her wounds. So Yeah, I would imagine. She was his third victim. But Joseph and Mike took off running down the street, passing several eyewitnesses, thank God. And of course... Joseph, you're going to love this, Pat. This is my favorite part of the whole story. Of course, Joseph's clothes were bloodied from the brutal murder he had just committed. I mean, he stabbed somebody four times, five times. Five times, yeah. So Joseph and Michael stopped off a little over a block from the home where they killed someone. And Joseph took off his bloodied shirt and tie, and they tossed it into a green shed before making it um, to the bus stop, and taking the bus to New York City for the day. Okay. Hell yeah. Might as well have a good Father Sunday. Exactly. Also, I failed to mention earlier, forgot. During all of their home evasions and assaults, Joseph would always wear a full-ass suit and tie. Don't know why. I think he was trying to pose as a salesman. I was about to say, it probably gave him credibility to come to the door. Because remember those door-to-door sales, Tupperware, all that bullshit back in the day? Yeah. If he had showed up in just like his bum-ass clothes, he was more, you would question it more. than A a guy in a suit's not going to walk up to your house to rob you. You know what I mean? I just loved how he was like, no one's going to find it here and threw it into a literal (laughs) shed. Because he's done anything that makes sense at this point. Anyways, Joseph and his golden child finally made it back to their home in Kensington, and they both slept soundly that night because they fully believed they had gotten away with another murder. Mm. However, Mm. don't worry, they didn't. Not only had eyewitnesses seen Mike and Joe flee the home in broad-ass daylight. Running down the street covered in blood. (laughs) But the bloody shirt and tie. (laughs) That he threw on a shed. That Joe tossed into the green shed. It had been found. No shit. Okay. How did they know, though, that it was Joe? He had his name embroidered into the tag, Patrick. <laughs> his whole ass name? It was a calendar. It's a calendar. 
I was gonna say it was a joke. That doesn't mean shit. But yeah, calendar. Yeah, that's like. My oldest on, daughter man. is having a tough week, and I was, um, I said, hey, I have something to lift your spirit. She's like, what? I said, I just researched this guy, and he got caught, like, the most dumbest of all ways. And she's like, how? I'm like, he tossed a bloodied shirt, and she was like, oh, DNA? And I'm like, no, this is before DNA. He had his name embroidered. Not <laughs> written on it. And she was like, what? <laughs> like... Because maybe if it was written with like a sharpie or something like that. I know, like, I know. Somebody could have written that. But like it's embroidered. So like no one embroiders someone's name on their shirt. You're dumbass. Okay, anyways. So it had his name embroidered on the tag. That's first for evil pudding, right? Now, he was not only tied to the murder in Leonia, but his fingerprint was also found at the house in Saskatchewan. Susquehanna, Susquehanna is how you say it. Susquehanna. Susquehanna. Okay. Susquehanna that was holding a luncheon. Did they find that the out? The luncheon after? house after. Because so they, they compared because they, they fingerprinted him. Yeah. And once they brought him in and fingerprinted him, they're like, oh, holy shit. It matches. You're the dude. Yeah. And no one was killed in Susquehanna. So Yeah, but they were still but they reported charges. it. <laughs> kidnapping Jesus. charges. And assault. And assault with a deadly weapon. Oh my Home God. invasion. Put liquid lighter fluid in your eyes. By the end of it, eyewitnesses had come forward. Patrick from three whole ass states claiming to have caught a clear glimpse of Mike and Joe Callinger fleeing crime scenes. Because I have to, you have to remember, they have been doing this together long before they started killing people. Yeah, robbing and everything else. Yeah, Mike and Joe. Yeah. Jesus. So they've been robbing, they've been stealing. Probably since Michael could walk, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Fucking sickos. Anyways. So, on January 17th, 19, 19 police officers from three whole ass states kicked in the front the front door of the Callender home and arrested Joseph Callender. Good. You know what it is? These crimes are so bad that every jurisdiction was probably like, I want to fucking be there when y'all catch him in case, like, These honestly, in case he tries so to do something crazy. Then they can all if get you a shot think at him. in today's terms, there would be, like, fucking helicopters. And- well, in today's terms, it would be fe- the federal government would have handled that stuff. The FBI would be all over it because it's interstate. As soon as, as soon as multiple crimes are committed across state lines, it's it's federal. Then it'd all be fucked up because Back the FBI then, it wasn't it. federal. Yeah. Back then, it was states had jurisdictions on everything. So they all want to get in on the fucking murders. Here's my question, because I was wondering this as soon as I heard that Michael was involved in all these crimes. What happened to him? As for Michael, he was put into the foster care system immediately. Then he was sent to live with one of his mother's relatives. What? Why is he not in prison? Wait, wait, not there yet. As a sentence... He was placed on probation until he turned 21. I know. He was 13, 12, sorry, not even 13. How many killers have we covered? Oh, I know. That were children? I know. That got nothing. They were just put to a home. They were put to this. They were put to this program. So they were 21. The harshest, actually, the harshest child killer we've covered Mm -hmm. was um, Jasmine. She actually got 10 years. She got 10 whole years. Richard's son or Richard? Richardson. Okay, yeah. Vampire. Cool. Yeah, you made that super Viking. You said Richard's son? 
<laughs> you said like straight Viking style. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, but Jasmine had the like, thing about how many people we covered that were arrested for murder and stuff when they were under 18. Mm-hmm. Most of them were just like putting up or a form school type place till they were 18. She was the only one that got like time. But even then, it was nothing. Well, this is what gets me about Mike. But then again, it, we're taking because Mike never talked again. We are taking into account. This so is all we're taking Joseph's account. Joseph's account, but according to Joseph, which Who I'm no going to pl- don't worry, y'all are about to hear from Joseph. Oh, so wonderful. <laughs> but according to Joseph, Michael begged to help rape. Involved. He wanted. to rape the women. I mean, that was like his thing, you and know? Joseph was like, no. And Joseph is, you know, I mean, he's dad of the year, okay? So didn't want him to do those things. We were no. doing God's work. We weren't doing, doing God's work. Not not for pleasure. <laughs> yeah. So as a sentence, Michael was placed on probation until he turned 21. And guys, the last anyone has ever heard, he changed his name and moved away and he's never spoken about him and his father's crime spree ever again, which, how can you blame him? It leads me to believe that he made a change for the better because. Or if it was me, and mm-hmm. I'll let you continue to talk. I said I didn't no, interrupt you, but maybe he made a change for the better. Or if it was me, I'm changing my name to Ezekiel Bojangles and I'm moving to the most remote place in the world I can survive. Like, I don't want humanity around me after that. I'm so troubled and traumatized. And I'm dealing with what happened and what I was a part of. I don't even want to see a human being again. I just hope that the the people that took him in, you know, helped, got him help. You like how I changed my name to Ezekiel Jangles. And as for Crazy Joe, Fuck remember Joe. that was his ne- <laughs> nickname? Joe. Guys, he went through, which I'm not sure why only two, because he committed crimes in three states. But he went through two trials only. No, he didn't. He didn't commit crimes in three states. New York. Um, They went to New York, but the crimes were in New Jersey and PA. I didn't cover. uh, There was a few break-ins in New York, but it was a murder. So I don't think they gave a shit about break-ins when there's a body count. You know what I mean? So he went through two trials, two whole ass trials. I'm skimming over this, guys, because this is not the important part. It was probably, was probably like, you know what? We don't care about his break-ins. We don't want to fucking cover that shit. Y'all fucking deal with that crazy motherfucker. <laughs> Fair enough. They're like, you crazy assholes down there in Pennsylvania. We always know. <laughs> no, they were like, I don't want that shit. We got our own shit in New York. We had some of Sam and all this other bullshit. Y'all do your thing. So he had one trial in Pennsylvania and one trial in New Jersey. And both times, him and his defense team did Everything they could. I cannot stress that enough to earn an insanity defense. Joseph Callinger was not found insane, despite the grand production that he put on during his trials, because he put on a show. Oh, I bet he did. So Joseph would show up to the courtroom disheveled, barefoot. <laughs> I, I'm not going into this because I really wanted to, and it's it's a... It's sad, but he would sporadically make animal noises in the middle of the trial. What the fuck? To include bird chirping noises. That was like his favorite thing to do. That's new. And of course, he did his slither like a snake and his maniacal insane laugh. Okay. But in the end, 
the jury was like, yeah, fuck you, no. They didn't buy it. They each in both states took less than an hour, less than an hour, guys, to deliberate a murder trial. He ended up being charged with three counts of murder in total. He was charged with the murder of his son, 14-year-old Joey, or his real name is Joseph Callender Jr. Then the murder of 10-year-old Jose Colazzo and 21-year-old Maria Fashing. And he was sentenced to life in prison on October 14th, 1976. Mm. And guys, in prison, Joseph was no better. He's... (laughs) He said, and because we watched the Destination Fear, you know about how he was in prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's where this whole thing started from somehow. He set numerous fires. He assaulted countless inmates, guys. He cut throats. I mean, he was awful. That shit crazy. He was finally sent to Crescent, which is where the investigation, the super, uh, supernatural investigation, yeah, paranormal. paranormal. You just reference paranormal yeah. fear, where they they're, they're in a TV show that investigates supernatural haunting. Is it called paranormal? Destination fear. Destination, Destination fear. fear. Okay, yeah. They investigate paranormal haunting, and that's where we got this from. So at the time, Crescent was a hospital and a prison for the criminally insane, and there he just continued the violence. He was interviewed several times, and you can tell. That he was heavily medicated in each of his interviews. Like, his eyes were barely open, guys. And he was, his mouth was like, I don't know, his tongue was like sticking to the roof of his mouth. But he was still so violent. He threatened to kill one of his interviewers. I mean, he needs to just not be in society. He's so beyond insane. Like, his insanity (gasps) is such a level that it just. He's chilling chilling he's a chilling individual and it's hard to believe that he ever existed just amongst us you know but just wandering around like a normal person wandering around so we are going to play you an excerpt of one a quick excerpt of one of his interviews what you do if you got out there i would probably do the same thing all over again what you do trying to murder everyone on the planet earth yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> oh my gosh you're not <laughs> please stop just stop <laughs> let him out please <laughs> oh well once he was at crescent it, it was a hospital for the criminally it was, insane, a, it was yeah. a prison also but it was also a hospital for the criminally insane I'm not sure if you can tell, but if you look at the video of that interview that I just posted, you can tell he's obviously sedated. No, I mean, I saw it from over here. He's but so he's still like, like super, his eyes are barely open, but even under sedation and blunt. obviously medication, which I've advocated for this entire time, he is still wanting to kill people. Yeah, and the visions are like, he's believing it. That's his mission at this point. Like he's just medicated, but he doesn't. There's, there's. That's no fact. Help. That's like the only thing real in his life. <sighs> so, despite his obvious sedation, he declared that he still has a very strong desire to kill. He is chilling, horribly chilling, and it's hard to believe that he ever existed, like just among us, you know, like in society. But finally, 
1991, Joseph's violent acts landed him in confinement within Crescent uh, Hospital Prison. Right. And that's where he would die, unfortunately. Just, he was... Not unfortunately. Well, no, it's sad because... And I'll tell you why it's sad. I I mean, I'm glad he's dead, but I'm going to tell you why it's sad. (laughs) He was very much alone in death. But he died in 1996 from congestive heart failure. But from birth, he was, this kid was born unwanted, alone, given up. That was the child. This and is then the in death, like from womb to tomb, this asshole was just discarded. As he should have been. Because in my he opinion. He should have been in tomb, but. Right. <gasps> Obviously, like we said as a child, we always talk about that. As a child, you don't, we feel bad for him because you yeah. feel bad for the child. Not what they turn into. Never what they. But what yeah. they turn into, it's hard to look back at the beginning of the story and feel bad because you're like, "Fuck that!" Like I know the kid went through some shit. Yeah. But look what they may turn into. So it's it, it's a weird like double edged sword, right? Like yeah. You feel bad for the child. You don't feel bad what it turns into, but you know we can debate that for hours if you wanted to. Well, guys, I um, I just want to take a moment to talk about his pay homage to his 14-year-old son who never had a chance to correct his life, Joseph Callinger Jr., a.k.a. Joey. And, God, 10-year-old Jose Colazzo, and, of course, 21-year-old Maria Fashing, who was all, already a wonderful nurse. She yeah, would have made... A little badass. She's like, I'm not doing that shit. Just oh, my God. Kill. She was just a badass. It, they just never had a chance. Um, I don't want him to get all the spotlight, but it's a serial killer podcast, so it is, it's going to happen. We always try to make sure we remember and yeah. don't forget the people that are often, as we always say... It's the people that are often lost in these stories. Yeah, and we don't want to lose them. You lose the victims when you talk about these psychopaths and when they're super fucking crazy. Mm -hmm. Like the the, the super famous ones and the super crazy ones is where you lose the victims. Okay, guys. Well, I'm not sure where to go from here because... I don't don't think a human knows (laughs) where to go from here. This whole ass episode was just like super uncomfy for me. Maybe not for Pat. I think he enjoyed himself over there, but whatever. The fuck? I couldn't even figure out what was going on about 12 minutes into this shit. Like, there's so much happening. It's craziness. This dude is probably the craziest dude we've ever covered. By far. I don't want to say crazy because he was very sick, but apparently even after he got help, he was still evil, which is why I played that. um, No, that clip. Yeah, that clip. It's huge because you can see that he's sedated and all those things and you're like, he's evil. I don't want to say sedated. I said sedated and that's probably not right. But Medicated. Medicated. And he got the help that he... In the 90s. A very 90s version. It's a 90s medication. (laughs) 90s medication. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But yeah. Well, either way, we don't have to worry about him anymore. So, hallelujah. And um, Mike... Calendar, if you're out there and you ever want to interview with us, we're here for you, bro. Let us know. Love you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. And we will see you back here on Evil Pudding close to Valentine's Day. We'll see you next time.